What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of No Rain, No Rainbows. I'm your host, Ted Fayton. So glad you guys are tuning in this uh, this morning, afternoon, evening, whether you're listening in the car, maybe through your speakers at home while you're cleaning. Uh, I appreciate the time, as always. We have a good one for you guys. Uh, Jay Do in the building, man. What's going on with yes, you? Yes, sir. Good to be here. Good to see you guys and let you hear what I've got to say. Hopefully, it'll help you uh, move forward in life. I certainly think it will. Now, seeing uh, seeing the guys that are watching, just in case you didn't know, we do have a YouTube channel. So if you're listening to us, you can watch us also on YouTube. Jay Do, for the folks that are listening that might think, who is Jay Do? Why not you... Uh, why not educate them really quick? 10-4. Well, Jay Do, Greenville, South Carolina. I've been here for um, my adult life. I've got a wife and two kids. Most people in the upstate community of Greenville, South Carolina are going to know me as the guy who didn't throw them a t-shirt <laughs> at the last sporting event they went to. So for the longest time, I was the MC, director of fun, on-field, hype guy playing games, throwing t-shirts and things like that for the uh, South Atlantic League Red Sox affiliate, the mm-hmm. Greenville Drive. So if you know me from that area, uh, it's baseball. And the other sports fans in the upstate are going to be the people who know me as the guy who also didn't throw him a T-shirt, but that's going to be Clemson basketball. Yeah. So I just began uh, this winter, 2018, 2019, my 11th season with Clemson University, basketball men's and women's. So nice. that's where most people are going to um, know me from, about 300,000-plus fans from baseball over the course of a summer. And in the winter, we might get in the neighborhood of 125,000 to 150,000 uh, Clemson wow. college fans as well. Yeah. I'll yeah. tell you what, people probably recognize your voice before they recognize They you, do. You almost have like a disguise, like the hat and the sunglasses. Right. I do that on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll see me in a jersey. You know, most of the times at those events, I'm going to be the number one fan, of course, wearing a jersey for the team, double zeros on the back with my name and a hat, bucket hat for Clemson, mm-hmm. baseball, Red Sox hat, you know, for the drive. So uh, sunglasses, things like that. So sometimes people. People don't know who I am, but they're like, man, you sound familiar yeah. from something. So, yeah. <laughs> I know the voice. I right. Just, what is that, man? Yeah. And, I, and I say the T-shirt thing, and then they're like, oh, yeah, you're the guy. Oh, man, you didn't throw me that shirt. You I know? am still kind of mad. Right. They go from happy to sad real quick. So <laughs> I've only got two arms, you know, two T-shirts to throw, maybe 5,000 people to disappoint. Yeah, so, they, they got to give you one of those... Uh, Automatic shooters. Oh, okay. The semi-automatic. Just yeah. get it go. Right. That might be it's kind of hard. It's, it's kind of hard to hold that and have a mic at the same time. So I normally <laughs> maybe give that gun to the mascot, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I, I hear you. Now, how did that all come about? I mean, I, I'm sure you don't just wake up and say, "Oh, you know, what? let me be the voice of Clemson basketball and the voice of Greenville Drive." Well, I guess not. You know, I tell people all the time that I must have been standing at the back of the wrong line or something. <laughs> I don't know. So I uh, never generally aspired for those type of positions. And um, I didn't audition for either one. Mm-hmm. That's not how uh, it came to be in my life. And uh, my senior year of college, I actually did a internship for the Greenville Drive. Their opening season in Greenville in the upstate was 2006, and that was my senior year of school. And I started running camera. I was the fan cam, that kiss cam, and, yeah, and yeah. smile cam, and wave cam, and flex cam. And so I was you're doing the one that to, to yeah. blame or the, maybe get yes, a tip too. <laughs> exactly. So I was the one who get, got in everybody's face that first season. And then in the second season, uh, they gave me the microphone. They said, man, we think you'd be good in front of the microphone, basically. So there was an opportunity to get there. And then Clemson basketball transpired from that. Can I ask you, did, did that come naturally? The well, microphone work? The, uh, it was n- 
obviously God gives talent to people in different ways. Mm-hmm. So there was some talent there, and I'm not sure how much there was. However, there was a lot of time that went into performing and speaking well before crowd interaction stuff live at events you know, in my, in my early twenties. So it all started, you know, um, any person out there is going to tell you, um, who, uh, maybe looks like me or you, Ted, we're all, all going to say that we started out in church, Yeah, you know? So (laughs) mom had me singing and playing the piano, playing the trumpet, you know, get a little lessons, play, do a little special at church, you know? So that started back in the late eighties, you know? Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of warm up time before the big stage was open to me. Yeah, so you've been exposed to the microphone one way, shape, or another. When the opportunity came to do so on, on a grander stage, you were almost prepped for it. Yeah, that's really what it was about. You know, in uh, high school, middle school and high school, there was also speech competitions. There was theater and plays, mm-hmm. and uh, I had a lot of that um, that was uh, latent potential being honed into skills before I put the jersey on and threw the T-shirts. I want to ask about maybe the transition into coming into your own and whatnot. Uh, what are some of the biggest challenges you've you've kind of come across through the years growing up, whether it be through high school, college, or taking on this role with Greenville Drive and Clemson basketball? Sure. Well, um, the uh, the biggest challenge is uh, for me, like I said, there was there was a lot of uh, I get energy from. Uh, being in front of people. You know, mm-hmm. people always say that it's public speaking, that that arena of work, um, whether and there's a lot of ways to do public speaking. They always talk about how uh, that may be the number one fear is public speaking, being in front of people. And uh, for me, um, that is something that gave me energy. Most people are completely drained of energy in that environment. And it just always kind of gave me energy from a from a young kid and uh, so first I'll say that, but um, the biggest challenge is, um, the biggest challenge in that, in that specific environment is going to be, you know, when I thought about being in front of church in, in, at six years old or something like that, I thought about, man, that's going to be real nerve-wracking for me, and it's going to be really tough, but man, when other people are doing special music, when the preacher's up there doing his thing, I'm never paying attention to them. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> yeah. the thing is, uh, people get self-focused. They yeah. get worried about what people are thinking of them. And we've all been in an environment where we were nervous for the person mm-hmm. up there because they don't feel comfortable. We don't feel comfortable. We're hoping they get through it. We're tucking our head into our, you know, tucking our tail between our legs or something because we're embarrassed for them. Yeah. And I realize that it's not about me. I have to give the people, give the congregation, give the crowd something they're going to enjoy or else they're going to fall asleep just like me in church. Yeah. So I'm going to have to be good so they enjoy it. So it started out with understanding really that it's not about me. It's about helping other people have a good time and feel comfortable. When you're in front of a crowd, do you pay attention to the crowd as a whole or do you try and talk to one person at a time? It depends on the environment, but I think there's an element of both. I mm-hmm. think there's an element of both in terms of, I see this all the time. Um, big pet peeve, maybe a small pet peeve, but I think it goes across in a big way. Is uh, let's say I'm at a Clemson basketball game uh, that we just started our 11th season with the Tigers uh, down in Clemson, South Carolina, and uh, there might be 9,500 people in there. And you've yeah. got to understand when you are the performer that the person who sat on the floor and the person who sat in the back both have the same goal of having a good time, being entertained. So you have to be clear and loud enough and and 
expecting to give that person a great time, yeah. no matter where they are. So in that regard, it's you got to cover everybody, but you got to speak specifically to the people who are in the back row. Mm-hmm. The people in the back row are great human beings who are come for a good time, so you need to be able to um, communicate to them and yeah. let them understand you. I've at learned. the same at the same time you got to you, sometimes you got to find folk you got to understand I'm never talking to everybody at the same time. Yeah. Some people are busy on their phone. Some people got to go to the bathroom. Some people hate the sport. Whatever that is, and uh my job is to also um find people to single out maybe mm-hmm. whether that be throwing them a t-shirt or calling them down for a trivia question or whatever and I've got to entertain one at a time uh as well. It's that's also part of the game. I found also when you when you call people out and it doesn't work with everybody but you can kind of get the energy, get the vibe from somebody right away, how receptive they would be, and especially those in the back row, and you can call them out specifically. That helps kind of bring them up to the front a little bit. And if they are receptive of it, you might have yourself a good little little ping pong going oh, on. Oh, yeah, for sure. You, we've all seen comedians call out the heckler. Yeah. You know, and in my world, you might, uh, if I'm relating it to a church, you might, the amen row. Who out there is ready to be engaged? Mm-hmm. Who came for the opportunity to be made fun of, to be brought on stage, um, to embarrass somebody they're with or something like that? It's always somebody's birthday. It's always somebody's first time. It's always... Um, somebody is overcoming something that they were going, um, the internal that's going on at home that's tough. So they're, they're looking for the opportunity to release, yeah. to relax. So when you find those people, whether it be, you know, facial expressions or laughs or, um, raise a hand for uh, an opportunity to be a contestant. Yeah. You want to, you want to play with those folks. And pull have, them in. Yeah. Pull them in. <laughs> now, again, the biggest fear for most people being in front of a crowd, just crashing and burning. Have you ever crashed and burned in front of a crowd before? The you know it's interesting. I keep coming back to the only time that I ever think or talk about um, the first ten times I was ever in front of a crowd uh, are in question and answer interview style things. I never think about <laughs> what I was doing at six years old or five years old. But I think it started there, and there's where the foundation was for me uh, back in church. And the only time. Well, there's probably two times. One time in high school, but uh, the only time I ever was on stage and crashed and burned. The high school time was I didn't make it to the stage. I, <laughs> I, I lacked uh, making it to my entrance. But as a kid, was uh, I got to the last line of the song on stage, a couple of verses of some hymn or some some chorus tune or something, and I, I couldn't remember the words. Yeah. Now, as an MC. As a person who I, you've done the same thing. You know, I've seen you live on stage interacting with a live crowd. You can come up with anything. Yeah. <laughs> but in a song, you got to get the right words. You got to remember what the words were. <laughs> and I couldn't remember for anything what the words were. And the p- pianist circled around a couple of times. Trying to help you out. Yeah, trying to help me out. I'm just chilling right there. And everybody in the audience was like, you know, holding their breath and maybe being embarrassed, nervous for me. And I just couldn't remember, but my mind was working. I was trying, I was trying. And the third time the pianist circled, I remembered the line. I sang it. Everybody was clapping. <laughs> right? Yeah. There was there was that moment in high school one time in a play. I completely... uh didn't make my entrance. Mm-hmm. So uh, the folks on stage were the ones struggling. Oh, man. And I was, I went back and watched a video of recording of that uh, performance, and I missed my entrance where no one knew how to recover. No one could recover. They needed me to come on stage. Mm-hmm. 
it was about a minute and five seconds, and folks were just scrambling for about a minute and five <laughs> seconds, about four folks on stage. There was about four or five different I don't knows yeah. because the line was literally, hey, where is Jadu's character? Hey, where is he? And I was supposed to come on. So they had nothing because, hey, do you know where he is? I don't know. Do you know where he is? I don't know. And I didn't make it for about a minute. And they just had to keep going. Yeah, they, and they had nothing because it was just like I was supposed to surprise, mm-hmm. uh, surprise them and come on stage. Yeah. It's so funny how moments like that on stage can translate to real life, the real world, trying to apply things to anyone listening that doesn't have any ambitions on getting on the stage or doesn't have any ambitions of being an MC. Still, we know that in life there's presentations, there's friend groups and things. How can you handle setbacks like that? How can you kind of uh, roll into the next scene, if you would, of life? You know, it sounds cliche, but the reason that we've all heard it is because it's true, is the show must go on. There Mm -hmm. are those times we will crash and burn. Most people don't aspire at all to be in front of the crowd like that. Um, I think that they could use the skills that are learned in front of a crowd to make themselves better in their own areas, whatever they are, but they just don't aspire to it, or they're going to be so petrified Mm -hmm. in the beginning of trying that they won't make a second or third attempt. Mm -hmm. And um, what you got to realize is, man, the best work is in front of you. Your best work is in the future. And if you can think like that, many people don't even think like that, but if you do and understand that your best work can be your legacy, your best work can be your next project, your next work can be your best job, best presentation, next work can be instilling some motivation and courage into the next generation, your kids, whatever that might be, then um, it gets you focused on others rather than yourself. And uh, that is really going to help a lot of people move to the next level if uh, the skill of communication, the skill of um, performance, the skill of speaking can be beneficial to whatever you want to do. Now, before we jump into your next level, your legacy and everything. What are some of the the previous acts, some of the darkest previous acts that you've you've gotten through that kind of helps you, I guess, push forward the fuel that that push forward for a brighter future? The number one thing in my life that kind of defines my darkest times, my uh reign, as mm-hmm. you know, this podcast talks about, is going to be the death of my dad. And when I was ten years old, um he uh committed suicide after a uh, several things in his life that maybe I don't understand still to this day, whether that be an undiagnosed, perhaps bipolar disorder, PTSD from uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, Iraq round one in the early 90s and other military training and conflicts that he was a part of. And some of it is just the, the drama and stress of having a wife and family um, in, in whatever situation and the struggles and trials that he went through. And that for me, being 10 years old, was not only at the moment, but also a legacy for me for a long time, mentally, of lack, of unconcern from the people who I thought should have given me the most love. Like, mm-hmm. why am I not special enough for my dad to have wanted to stay around? And he was, uh, in my terminology, my limited vision and my limited um, viewpoint, a great dad. Many flaws, but a great dad, you know, is how basically I thought of him. And uh, why wasn't I important enough 
and my brothers as well and my mother, but you know, what was it about me that wasn't good enough for him? And that was a, a, um, complex that I had, an mm-hmm. issue that I had for a very long time. And, and maybe, honestly, it even helped inspire me to try to be memorable for other people because I didn't want to be forgotten. I wow. wanted to make, I wanted to be good enough wow. for somebody and, or good enough for everybody, you know, maybe it's a big, big, um, area. So that was, that was tough for a very, very long time in my adolescent years, which for anybody is the, you know, a very tough time normally. Um, coming to themselves, realizing what they're good at, trying to figure out who their friends are, or what they're going to be, mm-hmm. and all those things going along with the fact that, um, my dad, who was my best friend, wasn't there anymore, was never going to be there. Everything that he ever told me was this dichotomy of it was the most important thing for me to know because he wasn't around anymore. So I got to remember it. I got to go for that. I got to, I got to use the words that I remember him saying to me. And or was it all a lie? Cause he's gone anyway. Maybe he didn't even believe what he told me. Wow. Yeah. Now, I mean, that's, that's a heavy weight to carry through adolescence and, and high school and college. Um, would you say you've grown through it? And if so, how long did it take to, to get through all that? Yeah, well, in my family, it's a great question. In my and I didn't think for the longest time that I would gr- grow through it mm-hmm. because there was no avenue for for growth. And what I mean by that was um there was no counseling. There was no therapy. There was no um admission to how we all, my two younger brothers and my mother struggled through the transition, struggled through the uh the uh, grief mm-hmm. periods, um, I didn't really have that. And if there were at times, I almost chose not to accept them. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it, w- it, was, it was rough for a long time. And there was a few friends, a few key moments. First one really was when I was about 18, so about eight years later, where I just had a good friend really confront me on always, I'll say, looking back rather than looking forward. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and, and, and she helped me out in, in many other words, but that was, that was maybe the main baseline, um, of trying to figure out, uh, who I was going to decide to be regardless of my previous situations. Sure. Quick question. Um, you mentioned two younger brothers. Were you the oldest? Yeah. So I'm the oldest of three boys and I've got two years on a brother and eight years on the other. Okay. Now, was that kind of like you jumping into the the leadership role, the man of the house at a young age? Well, um, gosh, I hope not. (laughs) You know, based on my choices that I've made, I hope not. My mother did get remarried, Mm -hmm. though, um, and so some of the pressures that may have come from other folks um, or even myself went away um, to some extent, and that was great. Uh, When I look back on it, I go, praise God, I wasn't given the brunt (laughs) of that weight. Or yeah. I or I didn't accept it because you know if I did anything good it was uh, it was grace given to me and most of the stuff that happened I'm sure it was bad so <laughs> yeah <laughs> well well the things that are happening now seem to be be looking good yet beautiful family thank you beautiful kids beautiful wife um, I guess talk about some of the biggest successes you've enjoyed recently and 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 where you're heading now the the trajectory that you're you're working on yeah so uh when i got married we got uh married uh 5 years ago plus and uh had a baby the next year the following year uh, right away um it was 
an eye-opening moment for me to realize that the people that I wanted to be in my life the most, most people aspire to have families. Mm -hmm. Um, No matter what narrative you hear out there on other podcasts, most of us want families. We want love. We want uh, companionship. You know, kids is a part of a lot of people's um, blueprint for their life. I wanted that too in my, and I got married at 29, baby at 30. And what I realized was now that I have the people in my life who are most likely to stay around long term, to love me just because rather than what I do or how I help them out, particularly in a job or in a profession, these are the people who are always going to be around, hopefully, in theory, that I now need to start acting like I'm going to build something and be something every day because these people are here. So what is it that I'm going to do now for for these people, with these people, around these people? Because this is who I want to... You always wonder, you know, you you uh, roll up into adolescence and into young adulthood wondering, have I already met my spouse and I just don't know it yet? And that was not me until I met her uh, two, three weeks before I turned 27. So I wondered for a while, I wonder if I already know her. I wonder if we just haven't gotten there yet. But yeah. I think about my kids and I go, I never met my kids until I met my kids. Now I'm looking at them. These are the people. Yeah. All right, so now I got to get my act together. Yeah, they are. So, uh, yeah, understanding... Uh, the legacy, business building, and things like I want to do uh, for my family, with my family, because of my family, is uh, is very, very much on my mind all the time. And I can tell you're a very ambitious person, and you have this drive about you. Would you say having having a family increases that drive? You mentioned building something. Who or what are you building it for? Yeah, definitely for the family, and also also for myself. The the fact that uh, we all go through rain. Um, prior to rainbows or amongst rainbows, it doesn't go away. It's mm-hmm. it's always there. The fact that my dad is gone, he's still gone. But there are new opportunities for me to do something else, um, and I can internalize those for my family moving forward. Part of my story is my dad's story, but that's not the end of my story. I'm still here, and there's still stuff to do. So, uh, yeah, I want to be ambitious to um, pick up where he left off, mm-hmm. be able to do things he wasn't able to do. You know, er- earlier this fall, I hit the age at which he died. So after mid-August this year, I am now, every single day, I'm older than he ever made it. Wow. And I think about that. I thought about that a long time, and now I think about it, man, I've got my own path to forge. Mm -hmm. My story's not his story. And uh, that might be a weird thought for a lot of people, but for me, it was uh, significant on my mind for a couple years. I love that you say that, though, because uh, we've mentioned before in the podcast and and, uh, in Modern Man episodes about creating and being being a man or just chasing your dream, man or woman, child that might be listening to this podcast or watching on YouTube. It, it is about your story, and, and I love the fact that you mentioned that you're building something for your family, but also something for yourself, because I feel as if people, they get hesitant to mention themselves, as if they fear sounding selfish, but the reality is, when you build yourself up, uh, you can help those around you, you almost you can't pour from, yeah. from an empty cup. Exactly. I mean, that's a m- very important thing to understand. I've spoken to 3 million people, probably about 4 million at this point. I always said about 3 million by the time I was 30 at live events. But I wouldn't be invited to be on this podcast and reach your audience all over the place unless I had done the things that got me here. Mm-hmm. So maybe I was doing them for myself, but the reason I'm here today with you is because I have an opportunity to spread the message to the next person who needs to hear it. And I think it can be one 
piece in their chain that they need today or this week to move them to the next piece of their puzzle. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, you got to, I can, I have to get better for you. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm going to get better is because I'll be able to impact and help and serve more people, inspire more people. So I got to get better. Yeah. It's not just for me, but it's for you too. Let's say there's a, a young J do out there listening or anyone listening that, that needs help getting to the next step, regardless of what profession they're doing, kind of put yourself in the young J do shoes what piece of advice would you give yourself right now to get to your rainbows? Find a mentor. Find a person to model. Mm-hmm. Find people who've got what you want and copy. In school, that's called cheating. In life, that's called smart. <laughs> copy what they're doing. Figure out what they have. Team up with them. Offer them something you can do for them so they can train you and move you forward. The apprenticeship type program. Find somebody you can be a journeyman for and work toward what they've got. Ask them questions. Second, along with that process, upgrade your skills. Upgrade your skills. Mm -hmm. If you were good already or had this already, you'd be able to, if you were, were this person and you did these things, you'd be able to have these things in the end that you want. You don't have them yet, so work on yourself. Nice. Jim Rohn, work on yourself harder and more than you work on your job. I love it. I love it. The book you gave me that that has changed my life, The Slight Edge. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was a great one. So anyone listening, that's a, a book recommendation for this episode. What's next for Jay Do? I am working on, uh, actually, we now, my wife, as, as of a year ago, late 2017, has gotten into building a business from home, and we are looking to uh, reach the top um, – of our prospective companies and opportunities um, with our brands uh, together with raising a young family. So my daughter's four and my son is two, and we are busy at home trying to balance all the things uh, that that entails right yeah. now. So that's a big thing uh, that we're doing. And uh, over the course of 2019, uh, hopefully we'll actually be spending a little bit more time in extended travels and uh, vacations more abroad, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, whatever abroad means. It might actually mean uh, local, but um, I think that's going to help our brands a lot. And so we're building a brand, different brands, under the umbrella of the Do family right now. I love it. I love it. And how can folks kind of tune in on on that journey and link up with you, follow you on social media. And there we find go. You. It's J-Do. So I-T-S-J-D-E-W. And you can find me on all the channels that's your favorite. And uh, <laughs> I'll be uh, posting content and uh, giving away stuff as I do, having contents and uh, contests and uh, hopefully inspiring you to do better. Yeah, you'd think this be a good person to know, but I haven't gotten anything free because he doesn't discriminate. You, you, if you're going to get a T-shirt, you just have to be in the right seat. There you go. Right, <laughs> right. Most people don't get the T-shirt. Look, you know, I only got one or two in my hands. So. Hey, if you are one of the folks listening that have a t-shirt, feel special because not everybody gets them. Jay Do, my man. so much, man. Appreciate All it. All right. Thanks There's, for having me. Oh, anytime, man. Uh, there you have it, guys. If you've made it to the end, thank you so much for listening. Again, as we always say, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without a little pain. Go out there and grow. And as Andre Settles with Settle Solutions always says, let's be great. Take care, guys. <laughs>